Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Live Well Bipolar. I am so excited. I have an amazing guest who I met on Instagram, and I was actually a guest on her podcast. We're going to share all of those details. But before we get into that, I want to tell you guys who she is. So her name is Mikkel Buck. She is an author, public speaker, and suicide survivor. She is the founder of the organization Mental Illness Warrior and co-hosts the podcast Thriving with Mental Illness with her husband husband, Adam. So Mikkel, thank you so much for coming on. I know we just had our episode before, but I'm so excited to not only share your story, but share what you've been able to create as a result of sharing your story. So thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to be here and continue our conversation. Really, I'm like, oh, good. I get to talk to Paris again today. (laughs) I know. And that's how we met you guys. So we met on Instagram. Like I meet so many of you and she sent me something that's so amazing. I'm going to share it with you guys. It's a habit tracker journal. She had organized, put this whole thing together to help with tracking certain habits when it comes down to any mental illness, really getting more specific to like seeing your patterns. And I'm so, so happy she did reach out because that's how we started talking. And then I learned about her, her story, her podcast. But before we get into that, I want to turn things over to you so you can tell us a little bit about your history and when your diagnosis first came about for you. Okay. Well, um, all the long and gory details are in my book, Thriving with Mental Illness. You can get it on Amazon. But um, essentially, like I didn't really have any type of symptom or anything abnormal until my very early 20s. Then I was serving a mission for my church. And um, I know so many people, especially people who live with bipolar disorder, are very, very high achieving. And that kind of my pattern. And I just hit this giant crash. I had no idea what was happening. Um, I was diagnosed with depression and obsessive compulsive, which, you know, I feel like it's always a navigation to kind of get to your most accurate diagnoses and correct help and medications and things like that. So like most people, it took a hot minute to figure that one out. Um, a hot minute, like eight years to, to get the correct diagnosis and get some proper help. In the meantime, there was a suicide attempt and things were not awesome till we got that figured out, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I am super fortunate. I married, uh, to my guy for 27 years this week. Oh, and so he's yay. been down the whole time and like going into it, I was really nervous. Um, when he proposed to get married because I, I was just coming off a suicide attempt and I was kind of like, okay, sir, let's talk for a minute. And let, I mean, let's be real, real, right? Because this is where I'm at right now. And I know that we have fun together and smile and laugh and, and we enjoy being with each other, but like, this is really what's going on. And like, are you down for it? Because this is going to be a ride while we figure this out. Like, I didn't know if it was going to end well. I didn't know if I was going to be okay. I didn't know if I was always going to be having these giant swings. And fortunately, just as the years have gone on and I've learned more and more tools and gotten great medication and great professionals and figured out the tracking and lifestyle management, I'm very happy in my life. I'm very stable. Always, you know, you manage ups and downs, but they're no longer where they disrupt my life. 
-hmm. And so it's been fun to have Adam on for the ride. And I love having him on the podcast, on my podcast, Thriving with Mental Illness, because it's just fun to hear his perspective. And a lot of times it'll bring up conversations and like they're live. And so I'm wait, what? (laughs) He said, wait, what? You know, it's kind of funny to hear the different perspectives when we go back and, and revisit different things that have happened and like things that we've learned and stuff like that. So it's been really fun to do that with him. Oh my gosh. I love that you talk about that because that's how I met you guys when I came on and we had that conversation on your podcast, but I love the whole breakdown you give of your timeline of talking about you were initially diagnosed with depression and OCD And then until you talked about in your twenties, having the different symptoms, like the high achiever, and then really like the eight years between trying to figure that out, what the right diagnosis was, suicide attempts, and really being honest with him and talking about what is the future going to look like and just breaking that down because there's so many similarities that I see hearing you talk about your story with my experience with first, like the the depression diagnosis, the years in between figuring it out, kind of getting the right diagnosis, what you talk about the medications in place, the therapy, the different tools that are in place. So when you were first diagnosed with depression and OCD, was that the eight year gap between you getting the bipolar diagnosis? Pretty much. So I was first, I didn't that I was OCD, although there were a lot of perfectionist tendencies, but not to the point where it was really disrupting my life. I just had ridiculously high expectations and pressure that I was putting on myself. Mm -hmm. I never really felt like that was an accurate diagnosis for me Mm -hmm. um, because I know people who deal with true OCD and my situation didn't look like that. Um, But I also didn't feel like the depression was accurate either. And I remember just arguing with the doctor. I'm like, but I'm not depressed. For me, it was mostly energy. And like, Mm -hmm. I, I would just, I would go through three or four days and I would need almost no sleep at all. And then I would go through a couple of days where I could barely get out of bed, but my emotions and mood were not necessarily affected as much back then. And and that's mm. kind of changed over the years, yeah. but I was, I mean, I sat and argued with the doctor. I'm like, I'm not depressed, but I don't have OCD, but I'm not depressed. And he's like, okay, listen to my words, Mikkel, you're <laughs> not okay. And I'm trying to help help you just try it. So I tried it and some of the stuff helped, but not a lot, you know, just not a lot. And I was going on and off and on and off. And it wasn't for maybe eight years that then I had a really dear friend whose husband was a pharmaceutical uh, rep and he repped uh, Seroquel, which is a bipolar drug. It's used frequently to treat bipolar disorder. And so one time I remember telling my friend, like we, we had little babies together. And so Mm -hmm. she was over at my house and, and like from the time she had left the night before about four, I had painted my whole kitchen and sewed drapes and she was back at nine in the morning. And she's like, (laughs) this is not normal, (laughs) Mikkel. So she, her husband, bless his heart was like, look, if you want my help, I would love to Nope, Like you're amazing. You don't need help if you don't want to. It was like trying to be super careful not to step on my toes, but I was still going through those cycles. So Mm -hmm. I knew that I needed help. Just nothing had helped. 
really. Yeah. And I remember going in to the doctor. He said, I have a doctor who's amazing. She's going to be wonderful. Like she kind of really, um, this is what she wants her specialty to be is stuff like this. So mm-hmm. I made her and I made you an appointment with her and it was like, I don't know, like a week away. And I remember waking up and then I had hit like a down spell and I was like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, I'm not okay. Yes. I'm so thankful for this appointment. And then like two days before, then I hit my manic ups cycles mm-hmm. again and hypomanic. I say, man, but it was really hypomania because it was just a lot of energy and like it, it was the same kind of break for reality and things like that, that frequently will happen. So I do want to differentiate that. Even though I say mania, I am meaning hypomania. That's what my mania looks like. Yeah. So no, so hearing you cancel that appointment. Oh my gosh. And just, so something that you said that like, you talked about your friend who was like, this isn't normal. You're painting the, doing all these <laughs> things. So I feel like that's something that helps because sometimes like with us, we don't always know. We're like, oh, we're just doing what we're doing, you know, whatever. And then having people around you who can point out and be like, hey, this is how you've been lately. If you don't recognize that. And especially how would you have any insight into that? If you've never felt like you had the tools or really had something that was working or in place. So that to me is huge having a friend like that, because I know I did not have any, any of those people who would even point out that it was just like the way that you were acting or what you were doing was entertaining or whatever it was. And some people didn't see it as a problem or something where something else was going on to address the root causes of that. And I love that something that you talk about too, is getting down to the root causes and doing the work on that. So I'd love to ask you, you talk about the first diagnosis, depression, OCD, and then having your friend who was the pharmaceutical rep who was talking about Seroquel and those different things. So what, what things did you have to change about the way that you used to live your life to be able to live the life you do now? The biggest thing is I thought that the, my hypomanic stages were like the ideal to strive for. Mm. If I wasn't that productive, then I wasn't my best self. That was just me like operating at my best because I would do so much. I didn't realize how agitated and um, perhaps hard to live with. I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just because my mind moved so fast, like unbelievably fast. So in a conversation, my mind would have gone through four topics and bless my guy's heart, Adam's responding to whatever I said four topics ago in my brain. And I'm like, babe, keep up. Like what? Keep <laughs> up, man. And it, it, He's so sweet. He's so sweet. And he was like, he really is a gem, but it was also a learning curve for us because there were some, I don't know, years that it was like hard to figure out what was going on and like how to work together. But Mm -hmm. my life now, I work very hard, even when I'm hypomanic to make sure my pace stays slower and to keep my life very uncomplicated and um, pretty simple because I find I can get driven into hypomania very quickly when I have Mm -hmm. too much on my plate and as you know, however high up you go, that's also how far you're going to crash. Mm-hmm. So my whole plan is just, you know, prevent the crashes, prevent the the highs and just try to live happily in the middle. But it takes a lot of 
like consciously not taking things on. Cause when you're mm-hmm. hypomanic, you can take the world on, right. You can, and you can do it. <laughs> yeah. And no. So saying your mind's moving so fast and being on all these different topics. Cause I remember that was my whole experience and I would do that too. And I wouldn't understand the person who I'm having a conversation with, like you're saying like, oh, you're supposed to be keeping up with what I'm saying and it's not matching up, but then trying to do that. So when did you start first getting into doing the tracking that you, that you're doing? Where did you learn about that from? From an excellent psychiatrist who literally changed my life. So I went into this first doctor of my very dear friends, but we lived in Las Vegas at the time. And so I met with her and she's the one who convinced me that yes, it's bipolar, even if it's not bipolar, because I still argued with her too. I'm like, but I'm not. She's like, you're not okay. Like, I don't care what you want to call it. You're not okay. And she was right. I wasn't. And so we tried these medications and, and they really, really made a significant difference in evening out my energy and my sleeping. But I, we moved from Vegas maybe a year later. So I was not there very long. And then when we moved down, I live in Arizona now. And when we moved down here to Arizona, um, I got connected with an amazing doctor who, like I said, literally changed my life. And he's the one who convinced me to start tracking. And when he first talked to me about it, I was so overwhelmed. I'm like, no way. I can't do this. This feels complicated. It feels hard. I don't know how to do it. It just, and at that time I was like, trying to be alive at the end of the day still, right? Mm -hmm. I was not managing well because I didn't understand the importance of all of the habits and everything that went into it. And and I had little kids at the time. So I have three kids and they're four and a half years from the first to the last. So I boom, 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 had those three kids. And so Mm -hmm. my life anyway was busy and it just felt like one more thing I could barely deal with. So it was like four months before he could even convince me. And he's like, like, hell, it's so simple. Literally just, did you take your meds? Check. How do you feel? Fill in the little circle. That's it. And so I did that for honestly, probably a year. That's the only thing I tracked. And then very slowly we started adding more things and more things and more things. And now like I have that beautiful habit tracker that we custom made and my daughter also has a bipolar diagnosis. She's married as well. She's a graphic designer. So she's the other one, the other half of the mental illness warrior organization. Mm-hmm. But um, now I have so much information and I cannot tell you like the longer the years go on and the more I track and the more I manage all of these little things, the happier and more stable I am. Like it, it's life-changing. I never in a million years especially after the suicide attempt and some of those hard years, I never thought that I could be this happy in my life and stable. You know, it's not even like, oh, fortunately, I just, you know, (laughs) today's the day I'm trying not to die. And I had a lot of those. So I'm not, Mm -hmm. you know, those are real. Those are real things and they lasted, but I'm so glad to know they don't have to last forever. Yeah. And hearing you talk about how you're the doctor that you met in Arizona and that's, also what I think is cool that you live here because I live here. So we were talking about that. I know. And then how he introduced that to you, but I feel like what you said is it was at the wrong time. So especially, and I feel like for me thinking the same way, if someone would have introduced that to me, 
years ago, I would not have been able to do it either because you're saying this, my focus was different than, than it is now. I could not even do that. You're talking about, I have three kids. I'm trying to maintain this. I'm trying to figure out what's going on with me. So I can't, I can't even do it. And then literally starting, like you said, for that full year of just doing, did I take my medication? What, what are the feelings like getting that down and then adding in the other parts? Because I feel like that's really what I love about what you guys are doing with putting this whole thing together, because it's making it so easy and accessible for people to go to like have access to that. And even if you're not doing this every single day, or I didn't do what's on my checklist every single day, but you have it so simple. So it's so easy to start this instead of being like, I have, you know, 30 different things that I'm trying to check off every single day. It's so easy to start. And then you have it where you can add in your own things that you want to do. So I really, really love that because we talked before and you said exercise, medications, therapy, and then also something that I've heard from you that's a huge, huge part of it is family and those relationships. And especially with Adam and talking about the support there is huge because I know that makes a a big difference from a lot of people I've talked with who don't have that, or they've had relationships where it is abusive or they're not supportive. And it's, it makes it very difficult for the person who's living with the diagnosis to really try to start doing changes. When you have someone on the other end that you're either married with, whatever the situation is, who's not believing in you, not invested in you. So I want to ask you too, what difference has that made for you having someone like Adam in your corner? Oh my gosh. I, I can't even put it into words. And like, we're very happy. I mean, 27 years, that's a lot of years, right? We were yes. joking about him, like 20 of them have been so happy, babe. Thank you for 20 happy years. He's like, it's 27. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know what I said. I said what I said. <laughs> but, but some of the years are hard, right? There's going to be a learning curve no matter what relationship you're in. But I think that the real advantage I had with Adam is that um, we met right after high school. And so he knew me before any of the crash happened before the suicide attempt happened. He like, we'd known each other and we were friends for a while before that. And so even when he proposed and I was like, yeah, I, I, in all honesty, kind of thought he was going to bolt. And when we had the, the real, real, I'm like, look, babe, this is, this is what it looks like. Um, he, he just said, look, I know you, I know you. And I know that you're always going to be doing the best you can. And maybe it looks really ugly, but I, I know you're going to be doing the best you can. And the other thing is he was really awesome about doing what he could to help. In the beginning, this was one of the things that made it very hard. He didn't understand that there was a lot that he was doing that was making it harder for me. And mainly for him, it was like not, he also would have a million things going on and be running a million miles an hour. And at the time, like, He was in law school. And then as soon as he graduated, decided to get his MBA too. So he's studying for the bar and trying to get his, you know, MBA and he's working full-time at a law firm. And I've got two babies at home and like, I'm not, I'm not okay. And we're not okay. And I need you to simplify your life because we live in the same home. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I, I can't operate with busy, crazy schedules. And even when it's yours, it still affects me. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that I wish partners understood a little bit more is 
this is not just like, gee, Mikkel, I hope you can get your crap together. It's like, look, we're a unit and what you do affects me and what I do affects you. So mm-hmm. we have to figure out how to be cohesive in addressing like, not just me living with bipolar, but also like your career and anything that comes, comes up in our relationship. Like we both need to be on the same page or it's not going to work. And it's especially mm-hmm. true with like mental illness and stuff. Yeah. And no, again, hearing you say, yeah, 27 years. Oh my goodness. I and I, and you guys, I thought they're amazing. Like, that's so cool that you guys have the podcast and you do that together because I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to expect. Like who's going to be on what's going to happen, but just hearing you talk about that. And then even figuring out how to be cohesive as a unit and come together. And you talk about how, when you guys first met and then the proposal, and then this is what I think is going to happen. I don't think he's going to want to stay. I think he's not going to understand, but then really being able to have those conversations and come together and connect. And especially with all the transitions, you talk about him, his career, law school, MBA, you having the, the kids trying to do that. Then also the diagnosis and then figuring this out. And then really being able to have that because stuff like this makes me so, so happy to hear because I feel like I've been so used to hearing negative sides of, oh, relationships that don't work because this person has bipolar, whatever diagnosis. And I'm, I've seen that a lot more until I started having these kind of conversations and being able to he- hear from real people who have experience and they can tell you, here's what has been working. Here's what's not. And here's what we do that is helping. So stuff like that needs to be shared more. And people who are willing to do that, I think are amazing wanting to even put that out there. Cause it's not easy always to, you know, share your story and talk about different things that were very, very challenging and to put that online. So, and the other thing too, I want to ask you, um, before I pop in to one more thing that I want to ask you is what has your expectation of motherhood or what that would be like maybe for you. So before your diagnosis and you really started to be serious on the work with that, did you have a thought or idea in your head of this is what I think it would be like in the future to be a mom, have kids? Is that, how is that different than the reality? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like we had to totally change the way that our family operated Um, because I wasn't stable all the way up until I had a second suicide attempt. And that's when like Adam had the huge aha awakening moment of, oh shoot, I'm contributing and I have to change. Um, and I had, let's see, my kids were like six, four, and three at the time. So they were little, they were little kids and that, you know, had an attempt, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I am so thankful that I, I made it, but we revamped everything. I mean, I just thought you're going to do the things, right? You, you volunteer at school and you take the kids and, and you sign up for activities for the kids after school, this, that, and the other. And we pared back everything, Mm -hmm. um, everything. And it was kind of a rule like from that point forward. Cause I was kind of like, you know what, I don't care what I have to say to. I don't care who I have to disappoint. I don't care uh, what people think, but I absolutely will never put myself in a life-threatening situation again. And for me, that was having too many things on my plate and being too busy. And I had to get really, really good at saying no. And frankly, it was really hard. It was hard to get used to that. A lot of other people didn't like that. 
I had to say no to a lot of family things. And I love my family. I have a wonderful family Mm -hmm. and I love friends, my friends and I have good friends, but I had to say no to almost every single thing except Adam and the kids for a while, because that is Mm -hmm. all that I could have on my plate. And in some ways I, you know, there are some things that I think, oh gosh, I wish my kids could have experienced maybe a more typical childhood, Mm -hmm. but in other ways, I'm like, I'm so glad they didn't. I mean, we talk about in our family, like all the hard stuff. And two of my kids, my 22 year old and my 20 year old both live with significant mental illnesses Mm -hmm. and thank heavens that they've seen this modeled for years and years and years. And like, they're really good at managing their mental illness. They're good at managing their relationships, but it takes so much focus. So like, we just had to clear everything out of our family and everything out of motherhood and Mm -hmm. like all the busyness was gone. And we just had a lot of quiet time in our home Mm -hmm. with not a lot of chaos. Yeah. I love that you kind of describe what you thought this would be like versus because that's the thing is nobody knows. And especially when you're talking about having a diagnosis, mental illness, but then also being able to be there to not only support yourself, but then also your kids and Adam. And then also, I love that the way that you guys are and just how you talk about your daughter as well with her diagnosis and then being able to come together and have that such a strong support system. And then also mentioning what needed to change. I love that you get into that and saying, Hey, here's the reality situation is I had the second suicide attempt. And then that's when Adam was like, this is the thing that I need to change and kind of come back with it for you. And then you kind of realized I had so much on my plate and then cutting back and learning how to set boundaries and saying no to things, despite people not being happy with what you're doing. I really, really love that you kind of describe what that looks like, what it did look like, and then how you kind of transition that into today, because that really brings me to what I want to ask you. If you can give me one thing, so your pick one top one thing of what it means for you when you think about what does it mean to live well bipolar? Gosh, to me, I just think it means like being happy and fulfilled in your life. I have a very fulfilling life, but I do not have a busy life. Those are, those are different things. And I think before my diagnosis, I kind of thought they were the same thing Mm -hmm. and they're not at all. So when I say fulfilling, I really focus on relationships. I, I really focus on, you know, what is something that's going to fill me up? What's something that's going to fill my family up? Do one thing, just one thing. Like I, I don't do a lot of things, but yeah. my one thing is like happy, fulfilling relationships because like what, what more could you want <laughs> out of life? Yeah, no, I love that you talk about the, the difference between fulfilling and busy and thinking they meant the same thing and then being able to tie that in and really making the point of that you can have a fulfilling, happy, successful life with bipolar, any kind of diagnosis you have with mental illness and really being able to get into the specifics of how, and then the good, the bad, the ugly of what that looks like. So thank you so much. And before we hop off, tell everyone where they can go to get more of you. And I will also link your book, everything in the show notes, but tell them where they can go. So the easiest place where it's all together is on our website, mentalillnesswarrior.com. So it will link you to our um, podcast that we have, Thriving with Mental Illness. And that's everywhere. That's Apple, it's Google, it's Spotify, like any platform it's on. Um, 
We also, a newsletter goes out so you can subscribe on the website. It goes out every Monday. It's not even a newsletter. It's just like funny thoughts. So I do enjoy writing. So it's just funny stuff that, you know, makes you think about like how you're approaching life and your relationships. Uh, we also have merchandise, which I love, beautiful mental illness warrior stuff. So like fight the stigma with cool stuff. We've got our beautiful tracking journals and gorgeous pill boxes because I was so over having ugly things by the side of my bed. I could not even with it. So I had to create my own pill boxes and beautiful tracking journals so that it was cohesive with the niceness and what I wanted my environment to look like. I love so that. And the book is on Amazon, but everything can be found there. It can be, you can be linked to there on Instagram at mental illness dot warrior. Perfect. And yeah, I'll have everything down in the show notes for you guys to go and follow her, go connect with her. You need her in your life. So please, please <laughs> do that. And I hope that you guys have enjoyed the episode as much as I have enjoyed this conversation. I can't wait to bring this to you. So again, thank you, Mikel, for coming out and thank you guys for listening. So bye. <laughs>